and uh, we are very excited to kick off this season here. It's December 1st, and we've got a lot of great things planned. And one of the things we have planned, the thing really that I'm the most excited about, is a new teaching series that we're calling The Way in the Manger. Now, we all know that song, Away in a Manger. Jesus certainly was laid away in a manger, but the Bible says of Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to look at the manger and see the way. Jesus Christ is the way. And we know his birth was ordinary in every physical sense, yet it was supernatural and it changed everything. And know this, God had a great purpose for the minutest of details found in the Christmas narrative. Now, oftentimes as we begin a new series, I'll kind of set the stage and a Christmas series is a little bit unique to the season. It's different than other series through which we go. And so I wanted to give you a little background on how it is we came to where we are. This is my 22nd Christmas as the pastor of Coastline Baptist Church. And with that many Christmases under my belt in one congregation, I've, I've learned why most pastors bounce around every few years. They get to re-preach their Christmas sermons, you know. And, uh, and so with um, well over 100 Christmas sermons under my belt, uh, I've looked at the Christmas story from every different way in which you can consider it. And, and typically, as is my custom, about October, I'll start thinking, all right, specifically, what do I want to share in Christmas? And, and normally, I'll go through the Christmas story, and I'll think to myself, it's a foolish thought, but I'll think to myself, I've already said all this stuff before. And uh, if I'm thinking that, probably some of you are thinking that, and yet that's a very dangerous attitude to take into Christmas, to kind of feel like been there, done that, already know all of those things. And, and that's, that's something we want to overcome. Over the years, we've taken a variety of approaches to a series like this. We spent uh, several years ago, we spent, I think, five weeks dealing with the major characters in the Christmas story, and uh, I enjoyed teaching that. One year, we found all the ways hope could be found in the Christmas story. Last year, we did something completely different. Our Christmas messages all came out of the Old Testament. And we found Old Testament prophecies of the New Testament birth of Jesus. And, and we had a great uh, opportunity to look at the Christmas story that way. And, and what we've done in those years is we kind of got away from the trees so we could get a good look at the forest. We looked at the picture as a whole. And this year I want to walk our church back into the trees. I want to once again get involved in some of the details, put some things under a microscope and examine them so that we can see some deep truths that can touch our hearts during this Christmas season. And this year, we're going to spend a lot of our time dealing with what you see in front of you this morning, the manger, the manger. God surely was making a point in all the ways in which he could have had his son to be born. He was making a point by including a manger in the Christmas story. And so today we're going to read some familiar words and we're going to be in Luke 2 for the next month. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. Luke chapter 2. If you're glad you're in church, say amen. amen. If you overate on Thanksgiving, say oh me. How many of you did Black Friday shopping? God bless you, I see those hands, and I'm sorry for you, all right? Uh, Lisa and I were stuck in a snowdrift. That was far better than Black Friday shopping, all right? But uh, we made it, and uh, we're glad to be here. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ 
the Lord. I'll read on, but I want you to know when the angel shared with them, it's Christ the Lord, there was incredible depth, richness, and meaning in those words. Christ, as many of you have heard me say, is the word in the New Testament, Christos. It meant the promised one. And so what the angel was saying is, hey, you know the one the Old Testament was promising would come? This is him. He's Christ. That's more of a title than a name. And uh, some people think that's Jesus' middle name, you know, <laughs> Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's, it's a title. And, and then they included in their Lord, He is sovereign. He is over all, Jesus Christ. And we see that He is our Lord. The Bible goes on, and uh, we see in verse 12, the Bible says, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And in verse 12, I want you just to take note of those words, a sign. A sign. And I want us today to consider the manger in light of the fact that it was given by God as a sign. Father, we're thankful for the familiarity of the incredible, incredible true life accounting of your birth coming to us. And Yet, Lord, as familiar as this is, it's so rich that we do need to look at it in a fresh way each year. So open our hearts. May we learn and grow because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a few things that's fun around Christmas is making a kid's day and putting a smile on their face and making some of their Christmas wishes come true. Lisa and I have two daughters, they're grown now, we had a lot of great years with them, uh, having fun and giving them gifts, and when they were little, we'd give them the gifts, they'd tear the wrapping off, they'd open the boxes, they'd set the toys aside, and then they would play with the boxes, you know, we had a good time just helping them do whatever they wanted to do to have a great day, make some good memories, but something happened when they got up into those teen years. And uh, some of you parents know what I'm getting at. Things just change when they get in those teen years. And some of the joy of Christmas morning was lost when they were no longer little girls. When they were little, they'd wake us up about five in the morning and say, hey, wake up, let's get out there and get to these presents. And, and when they became teenagers, it was more like us knocking on their doors at 9.30 saying, girls, come on, you got to get up and open your presents. The family will be here soon. And, and things kind of changed. But last year, something happened that once again restored all of the joy that Christmas morning had lost in that sense. Our oldest daughter, Jessica, had a baby. Her name is Callie. And the world was made right once again i mean christmas morning had a joy that it had been missing for a few years and it was fun having her around last year but of course she was a little tiny guy and didn't quite know what was going on and this year i think it's going to be even better she'll be more aware of of uh, what's happening and i'm looking forward to making a whole new set of memories with her and for her and callie i should let you know just to give a little context she's a genius and uh, she's certified i certified her as a genius she knows a lot she speaks several foreign languages none of which have been discovered yet that's how smart she is and um, and uh, so she knows a lot of a lot of things but english is one of the things she's still not totally certain about you know uh, she knows a few words and if you listen very carefully you can discern about every third or fourth word and if you put the those words together you can sometimes figure out what she's talking about and, and kids as we know even before they can clearly communicate they can say some wild things uh, she went to Disneyland a few weeks ago and I asked Callie I said how is Disneyland Callie and she said sketty that means scary in Callie talk all right sketty I said sketty why was it sketty and she said dark 
Vader. Two words, Dark Vader. You know, I said, you mean Darth Vader, right? No, Dark Vader was scary to me. And uh, we kept talking. I said, what was your favorite ride? She said, the bus. And I was thinking, the bus ride? I missed that ride. She was literally talking about the bus from the parking lot to the park and back. It's her favorite ride uh, all day long. We could have saved a lot of money, I think, had we just put her on a city bus and said, have fun. And, uh, and uh, she says crazy things. Uh, I was walking out of the auditorium a couple weeks back. And at the end of that service, Callie was in the lobby and she was watching on the TVs out there and she saw me on the TVs. Well, in her mind, if you're on TV, it's a movie. And I walked out, she, I walked out and she said, Pop, you preached a movie? So that was her question for me, all right? So basically, in her eyes, uh, I'm a movie star because I'm on the TV screens in our lobby. And uh, I appreciate her unique way of looking at things. And babies do have a way of communicating before they can even clearly speak. And, and I want you to know that Jesus certainly was communicating so much to us, even as he was laying speechless in a manger. There was so much that was being said, so much that he wanted us to know. There's a story to be told just by observing the details of his makeshift crib, a manger. So I want us to wonder today, I want us to wonder what all is found in the sign that led the shepherds to the site of the birth of Jesus Christ. Here's the first observation we can make together. I want us to see that it was a sign of his unwavering commitment to us. His unwavering commitment to us. So when the angels began to share with the shepherds what the sign would be, they began by saying this, ye shall find a babe. Now, I want you to imagine, I sent you to a small town somewhere to find someone you'd never met before, and you're wanting a little bit of background to help you be led to the place where that baby is, where that person is, and, and all I told you was, it's a, it's a babe. I thought there's got to be more information in that word. I mean, that kind of cuts it down a little bit. You know, it's not a full-grown adult, but, but babe. So I thought, well, maybe in the language of the New Testament, the original languages, there's more depth there. So I looked this word up in the Greek, and sure enough, it said babe, baby, infant. That was all that they found in this sign. They said, you need to know that uh, there's a babe. That's what it said, just a babe, an infant. Now, that would have helped the shepherds narrow down their search a bit, but it really does even more for us. It does more for us. When we realize that Jesus was born a baby, we have to confront the reality that God became man without ceasing to be God. God became man without ceasing to be God. You think of a sign, God was born, he became a man. Now, I spend most of my preaching and teaching around the doctrine of Jesus or Christology dealing with the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God the Son. He is without a doubt God the Son. He is the second person of the Godhead. But in order for us to become Christians, to trust Him as Savior, we have to understand that God had to become human so that He could meet the needs of humanity by dying on the cross. Paul wrote of it this way in 1 Timothy 3. He said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. He was born as a person, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. It's interesting, in the first century, there was not a great debate of the deity of Jesus. There was a great debate, however, on the humanity of Jesus. There were many who would look at Jesus and say that he was something less than a person, less than a person. 
John, as we know, had to forcibly deal with this. For uh, if you don't believe in the humanity of Jesus, you've placed yourself outside of Christianity. John wrote of this in 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. He said, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. He's speaking there of the humanity of Jesus. He said, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Now, in our day, as I said, we, we deal with this battle around the deity of Jesus Christ. Most informed, informed historians, not all historians are informed, but if you found an honest historian, even who is not a believer in the deity of Jesus, uh, today, in, in general, you would find readily an acceptance of the humanity of Jesus, the fact that he was born and that he lived. Josephus was born a few years after the crucifixion of Jesus. He's the most well-known, well-written Jewish historian. And in his writings, twice he referenced Jesus. Once he said it this way. He spoke of Jesus as the one they called the Messiah or the promise of the Old Testament. Around 116 AD, Tacitus, a Roman senator and historian, wrote of Jesus and, and referenced him as the founder of Christianity. He acknowledged there was a Jesus. We know that shortly before Tacitus, there was a, a, a Roman governor by the name of Pliny the Younger. He wrote to the emperor Trajan that early Christians, here's what he said, would sing hymns to Christ as to God. It seems ridiculous that I would have to assert the reality of the existence of a person that we know of as Jesus because he, he just permeates history. He was known. The overall testimony of his life is that he was all God and all man, all at the same time. Jesus is the God man. Now, 100 and 100 doesn't always add up to a perfect 100%, but he was 100% God, 100% man. We bring him together. There's a theological word for this, the hypostatic union, but Jesus Christ, God the Son, was all God and he was born all man. As we look deeper into the details of this sign, we are reminded that Jesus was born with a destiny in mind. There was a will of God the Father to fulfill. And in order to die for humanity, he had to be born as a human. And in his life, he endured all that we do in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I want you to imagine with me this sign. God became man and endured the rigors of life so that he in time could be placed on the cross for us. And as we think of a manger this Christmas season, I want you to think of the unwavering commitment that he had to be born as he was. The second element we'll see together today is this. It was a sign of his unfailing care for us. Now we read that the sign was that a babe had come, but as the words went on, we read of Jesus that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Years gone by, we've talked a bit about these clothes. It was interesting how moms would deal with their newborns in this time. They would take strips of cloth and they'd literally wrap each arm, wrap each leg, and then they would uh, put them together and then they would wrap them up 
uh, even more. They'd kind of look like a little mummy when it was all said and done. And it seems extreme, but we have to remember this was a time when many children routinely would die before their first birthday. And this was a mom's best attempt to keep her baby warm and safe, and, and they would wrap them up tightly like that. And so as we think of that with this sign in mind, I want you to see that Jesus, as he was born, he was totally constrained. He could not move a thing. We could say that he was like a captive. A captive. And that's quite a thought when you consider why Jesus came. For the Bible in John 8 tells us, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. The one that came to bring freedom is first seen as a captive, unable to move a muscle. Now today, let's just imagine that I get kidnapped. And uh, they look at me and they try to ascertain how much money they could get from me. And they send a letter to all of you because all of you, like me, think, hope. Some of you do. My wife's here today. She does. I know that. But let's say you guys, you get, the, you get the, uh, the phone call, and it's a disguised voice, and they say, we've got Steve, and it's going to be bad for him if you don't pay the ransom, and, and uh, we want to get $5 from you to get Steve back. That's how it's got to go. And uh, you guys get together, and you think, well, we don't want Steve to uh, really go through this bad time here, and uh, maybe we should find a way to get the money together and I thank you for that I don't want to be kidnapped and if I am and there's a ransom of five dollars I hope you guys will get together and find a way to get it maybe some of you and I could point out which ones it might be but some of you would say that's an extreme price to pay five dollars he's not worth it 450 we talk about it five dollars absolutely not you know Uh, but but maybe you guys in your grace would still say let's maybe call the police Uh, Call the SWAT team. Let's get a militia together. Let's do something. I would hope if I were kidnapped that you guys would kind of rally around and say, let's try and do something to give this guy his freedom back. And I want you to know that's not at all how Jesus handles a situation like that. For as he sees us as hostages, if you would, held captive by sin, he didn't just come and say, hey, I'll pay. He did. But more than that, what he said is this. Take me in their place. Take me instead. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him, speaking of Jesus, the one who's laying in a manger, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And friends, what adds to the beauty of this sign is the fact that just as he was wrapped so carefully in strips of cloth at his birth, he was also wrapped so carefully in strips of cloth after his death. And this understanding helps us see something about Jesus. He cares for us all. You see, Jesus didn't come to the rich or to the poor or to this ethnicity or that. He came to those who were held captive by sin. And that's all of us. And as Jesus was placed in that manger bound up in those swaddling clothes, he was speaking to us without saying a word that I care for you. I have come as a liberator to set the captives free. That leads to this third thought. I want us to see that it was a sign of his unspeakable compassion. Now, when we think of Jesus is the way in the manger. Our Western minds often even have a hard time grasping what a manger is. The the word manger, even in a general sense, could just refer to a stable. 
You could say, take the animals to the manger, and that would be similar to saying, put the animals in the barn. It was kind of depending on the context in which the word was used, and the way in which it's used in, in Luke chapter 2, where we've read, gives us the understanding. He very clearly was speaking here of a feeding trough for animals, and when we think of a manger, we think of a beautiful box like this, where animals would come and feed, and that's kind of our, our image, our concept, but really it was probably even different than that. It was, it was sometimes a circle of rocks that the shepherds would make, and then they would put the feed in the midst of those. Uh, years ago, when Lisa and I vi visited Israel, I think we have a picture of that. I remember seeing this on the side, and I, I asked our guide, what is that? He said, that's a manger. It was just a rock that was hollowed out, and they'd put the feed in there. And so a manger could be a box, it could be a circle of rocks, it could be a hollowed out rock. It was just a place where animals would come to eat. And I want you to know that in this understanding of what a manger is, we, we see another picture of our Lord's death. Jesus was bearing the only cross an infant could bear. As a sleeping baby, he was laying in a feeding trough. He was born in a barn because of the indifference of others. God's sign, God's sign was that his son would be born of a virgin through the same process that we all are born. He was laid in a feeding trough for animals, in a stable, behind an inn, in a relatively obscure and all of that was a sign when I consider that God could have sent his son in any way I have to conclude that he was seeking to make a great point in the highly unusual way in which Jesus came I think if there were one word I could use to describe the birth of Jesus it would have to be humble humble in Philippians, we read this of, of our Lord in Philippians 2. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That speaks to the deity of Jesus. He is God. But the Bible says this, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Imagine that. Of any form Jesus could have taken for himself, he took the form of a servant. And he was made in likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Nothing says compassion like laying aside something you deserve so that someone else can get ahead. God the Son was laying in a manger and that speaks of compassion for all of us. I was thinking on this text and trying my best to wrap a fresh view around it. And I went back in my mind several years ago when I was traveling. I remember I was in uh, Atlanta coming home. And in fact, I remember the situation very clearly. And uh, as I was there, I was standing near the agent at the gate doing what I always do when I travel. I have no hobbies other than doing my best to accumulate travel rewards points, you know. And uh, so I was standing there hoping to get an upgrade 
uh, that's a pretty long flight, and if you get to sit up front, they're nice to you, and, and uh, uh, it's not a styrofoam coffee cup, it's a glass one, and you know, it's just, it's better up there, and so I was standing there thinking, come on, come on, let this be my lucky day, and, and uh, as uh, I was uh, listening, a man stood there, and he got the, the last upgrade, and I kind of looked at him at first, I was just disgusted with him, you know, <laughs> that bum stole my seat. And, uh, and then, honestly, I, I, I recall this so vividly, I could tell you the whole situation surrounding this trip, but I remember looking at him, and uh, you could tell he'd had a tie that he'd taken off, and his hair was messed up, and the bag hanging on his shoulder, and I thought, this guy looks more road-weary than I am, and, and I legitimately, in my heart, felt good for him. I thought, good for him, he's going to have a good trip, and he obviously is worn out, and uh, I, I felt uh, glad for him. Well, the time for boarding came around, and as you know, first class, they board first, and they get in, they get to put their bags in the uh, place first, and they get to get a drink and sit there, and they, they can watch the rest of us losers walk past them to the, <laughs> to the back, you know, and, and uh, as I got in line to, to board after the first class people went, um, a few people ahead of me was a guy in a military uniform, and I didn't think much of it. We uh, were walking on the plane, going down the proverbial cattle chute, and and as that guy in the military, I, I'm not even sure which branch, uh, passed the guy that I watched get the upgrade, I saw them have an exchange. I couldn't hear everything that was said, uh, but from a few people back, I watched that after a brief exchange, that man stood up, they shook hands, he got his bag out of the overhead bin, and the man who got the upgrade walked to the back of the plane, while the man in uniform sat down in first class. Again, I didn't get the whole context of the conversation, but it wasn't hard to figure out. There was something said like, you're coming home, where you been? You're in the military, thank you for your service. And, and he said, hey, I want you to have my first class seat. I'll go sit and coach. Now, as I watched all this happen, uh, you could just tell everyone in the plane, it just kind of got quiet for a minute, and everyone saw this. And, and I've got to tell you, I... I might do that now that I saw someone else do it. Had I got the upgrade that day, I'm pretty sure I would have sat in my first class seat and done my very best not to make any eye contact with anybody walking by me. I would have thought, this is my seat. I earned it by logging miles, by being loyal to this airline, by playing their stupid game to accumulate points to maybe get a shot at this seat. This is my seat. I deserve it. I earned it. I was going to sit there and just try to pretend like I belonged with the other fat cats up there. It was going to be a great ride had I got that seat. But that guy that got the upgrade showed me what compassion looks like. It looks like taking something you have earned that's rightfully yours and looking to another and saying, here, you have this in my place and I'll go sit in your place. He traded places with someone to show that he cared about what that man was going through. Now, there is no perfect analogy. But with that story in mind, I want you once again to look to the manger Be reminded that was God, the Son, who took our place so that we could know the joy of spiritual salvation and have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. 
You see, Jesus deserves all the glory and all the honor. Yet he laid all of it aside. He chose humility. He chose the form of a servant. He did all of that. And as we just look at the manger, we get to see what love really looks like. A compassion for us all. When the shepherds finally arrived and they saw the sign, you know what they did? The Bible says they were glorifying and praising God. Do you get the idea from that, that they saw the sign for what it was? Maybe as they were walking there, they're thinking, a babe, a manger, and they see Jesus and they're like, that's it, that's him. This is the one the angels told us about. This is Christ, the promised one. The one in the Old Testament we'd heard about. This is Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. And the Bible says their only response, their visceral response was to glorify and praise God because they saw the sign for what it really was. They saw Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And friends, on December 1st, I've got to tell you, that is what Christmas is all about. Whether you've heard a hundred Christmas sermons or this is your first one Christmas is to serve the same purpose for each of us it's to serve as a sign that allows us to see a savior who's deeply committed to us and reaching us who is caring for us and a savior who's compassionate for us a moment ago I read in Philippians 2 of the humility of Jesus as he took on the form of a servant but as those verses go on we see another side of our Savior in verses 9 through 11 in Philippians 2 the Bible says wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Friends, listen, make no mistake about it today. That seemingly helpless little baby in the manger is God the Son. And one day everyone will recognize Him for who He is and they will acknowledge the deity of Christ. But this life is one big opportunity to come to Him in faith. So that there's not a hint of regret when our time has come and gone to accept Him. But we use this season as a realization to come to know Him. And for those of us that know Him, to be reminded. You see, the Bible tells us that time is coming. When at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow. But if that's your first time, it's your last time. But if in this lifetime we understand the sign of Christmas and see the message of it all, we can live a life that acknowledges Jesus, that responds as the shepherds did, glorifying and worshiping Him. We'll have all of eternity to celebrate the greatness of who He is, and heaven will be all the good in this earth without any of the bad, and then so much more. I can't even explain it all. It's not some boring place where we sit around in clouds playing a harp. I want you to know heaven's skydiving without a parachute. It's, it's scuba diving without a tank. It's going to be so unbelievable. We're not even going to be able to comprehend it all. In fact, that's how the Bible explains it to, it to us. It just simply says you can't even fathom how great it's going to be. And that all is based on what do we do with this baby who was laying in a manger?
And God says, I want you to know this Christmas, as you think of a manger, I want you to think of the sign that is found therein. Our Father.